I want to proclaim to you that God is up to wondrous things in this season. And I, I don't want to use this term, but I want to proclaim it this way because I felt like the Lord uh, 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 told me to phrase it this way. As a prophet of the Lord, I want to say God is doing wondrous things in this season. And this is the greatest time to be alive. But I cannot overemphasize to you the importance of the moment that we're in. This morning is very, very significant, whether you know it or not. But the season we're in as a group of people is extremely significant. In April of last year, uh, we were on this prayer call that God has begun through this ministry. And as we were praying one afternoon, uh, there was an angel of the Lord in my little small home office and I had never discerned an angel like this, and he wasn't looking at me, he was looking through me. And it's kind of like scary good. The love of God draws you, and the fear of the Lord keeps you. They're both beautiful aspects of God. When you experience the fear of the Lord, you're like, I'm glad I'm on your side. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is simply you take God seriously in every area of your life. You want him first place. That's the fear of the Lord. And it's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So if you're lacking knowledge in God, you might be missing the fear of the Lord. Sometimes people want the knowledge of God, but they don't want to put God first place in their life. They want to add God to their present circumstance, and God wants to be the foundation of your circumstances. Now, the beautiful thing about God is that he never throws you away, but he will never relate to you on your terms. When he teaches about the kingdom of God, he said the kingdom of God is like this, and he talked about a wedding feast. And he describes this wedding feast. And it's actually the picture of what God does. He comes and he searches for humanity. He goes, to the, he goes everywhere to find people. He, you, how many know you didn't find God, God found you? He's always the source of everything. Anytime you think you're the source of anything, you're in trouble in this kingdom. But he goes and, and he searches. And it's interesting what people say. They're like, well, I just got married. Like that has anything to do with the situation. I think they were American in that one. There's, there's like, you know, like kind of nervous laughs people give to those. But then someone else said they had a business. Notice they didn't say, listen, we're, we're busy, we're going to the club tonight, we're, we're indulging in the things of this world, we're cheating. They don't say things like that. They say things that in and of themselves, they are not evil things. But they're... They, they will keep you from God if God is not first place. So then, there, so he goes, all right, go, then now, now go anyone, basically to, to anyone. Then he goes, just find anyone who will come. So then they come. Now, this is really interesting. The Bible's interesting. If you don't enjoy scripture, please get born again today. So like, well, well, compel them, you know, just go to the downtrodden and compel them to come. And notice he's describing what's available to him. That is supposed to be what every person in Christ is supposed to do. You are to describe what God looks like. 
God does not divorce this wondrous thing he's doing in the earth right now from you and I. There's a really interesting story in Acts where it says Saul and then it became Paul. That's really interesting. But, and this is how nasty a religious spirit is. He thinks he's doing God a favor by killing God's people. You have to be aware of those things because it, this is really important for this time. There are things that look like God and speak like God would speak, but they are not God. That's called a religious spirit. So he thinks he's doing God a favor, and God knocks him off a horse because the Holy Spirit's a gentleman all the time. That's American too. And he says, what does he say to him? He said, Saul, this is Jesus speaking to him, why are you persecuting me? It's really interesting. Because Jesus is no longer physically walking on the earth. He's in heaven, but he's saying, you're persecuting me. So there's a dual understanding we can get from that. That when you touch God's people, it's like you're touching God because it's his family. But the other side, yeah, I know people like that one, but here's the other side. God expects you to represent him. That when people look at you, you're supposed to describe what God looks like in your relationships, in your finances, in the way you treat people, in the way you go about doing things. You are supposed to be describing something because it's what the family of God and the kingdom of God looks like. This might be offensive to some of you. I'm just trying to reorientate the way you think about it. God doesn't want to use you. He wants you to be in his family so you look like him. My father doesn't use me. He trained me to be a godly man. So God doesn't relate to you on your terms. And then so it goes deeper. So then these people actually show up to the wedding feast. It's really interesting. He's compelling them to come, but then they're not dressed properly. And he goes, how could you come and not be dressed properly? I think it's a picture of a lot of culture today. Because we, if, you, if you study that a little, I was very fascinated by it. I said, what is taking place here? Like, you would think, like, come, come, just come, just come out as you are. And what, I, what, what they say is, kings back then, if they invited you a banquet, you didn't have the appropriate attire, they would clothe you with the right attire for the feast. So apparently this guy who's not dressed appropriately wanted to come on his own terms, and even that was not allowed. You can never come to the king's table on your own terms. Even though he's the one who can't wait for you to come, you still cannot come into the presence of the Lord on your own terms. I have a friend, he's really smart, like really smart. I hang out with smart people sometimes. He was talking to me about like, like in April I was at his church and he's like an elder in the church and he's telling me, give me some science stuff about COVID and vaccinations. He goes, do you understand what I'm talking about? I said, no. <laughs> have you understood? No, I don't understand anything. But I trust you because you're smart. He grew up in California and he grew up in a Catholic home, but he was not born again. And these guys in school told them about Jesus. See, get those words working. It's like a woodpecker. But he thought, he's, he went to Berkeley. He, he thought anyone who's one of those born-again people, they got to be stupid. 
That's what he thought. He said, anyone who believes that fantasy, but they, they witnessed him. They told him about Jesus. And he's, he said, I believe he's a freshman, and he's, he's sitting in his college dorm, and he's laying on the bed. And he goes, God, I will serve you, but I don't want to be dumb. He said, I heard right in my heart, no deal. God will meet you, even in your stupidity. No, he does. Even a sincere heart, he'll respond. He said the next night, he said, God, I'll give you my whole life. I don't care what I look like. And God said, deal. You cannot add God to the life you want to live. Now, there's wonderful, lots of stuff at the banquet, but you don't come on your own terms. He's the one who makes you righteous and gets you in. But you got to come on his terms, and the terms are always complete surrender. There's no negotiation with God. Like I said, I thought that was a minor point, and then I... It's a little more than I intended there, but we are in a wondrous season. And I felt like the Lord said to me during worship today that this today will be a marking day for you if you'll receive it. That there are significant things that God wants to release to you that are key for many of your journeys, for, for many of your journeys in God, and that many of you will look on this day as a defining day in your individual walk with the Lord. Anyway, let me finish the story about this uh, angel. So I'm thinking, what is he doing? And I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, he said, he's watching you to see if you will respond correctly in this moment. And then I saw him leave and go throughout the United States like a fire and the Lord said to me, he's going throughout the United States to see if God's people will respond correctly in this season. So I cannot overemphasize to you the importance of the moment we are in. On August the 12th, the Lord said to me, we are in a defining moment. Defining moment is this. I didn't even know it was a different, uh, dictionary definition. Do you know that there's times, and many times, God will say things to you, and it will be your personal responsibility to hunger and inquire of him as, what, as to what it means. He just, God just will throw things out to you within the context of relationship, but if you're not hungry to inquire further, you will just stop at knowledge. Defining moment is a point at which the essential nature or character of a person or group of people is revealed or identified. That's you and I. This is the greatest. And then in October of last year, the Lord said to me, I was a little concerned with some things I had seen in our nation take place the day before. And I woke up early that morning and the Lord says, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I am initiating cannot be stopped by the government, by the will of man, and by anything that's taking place in the earth. We got about 20 claps with that, still true, if you don't agree with it. But here's the actual point of that. You can live in a certain season where God is doing wondrous things and never be a participant of it, but still be in the family of God.
So it is the positioning of your heart that will determine your fruitfulness here on the earth and will also determine what you bring to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus is a righteous judge. And you'll stand before him and you, we, we do not get judged for the things we do. We get judged for what we were called to do. I remember many years ago, the Lord said to me, and he, he started to do many of these things. This, this is going to happen in your life. This is going to happen in your life. This favor will be on your life. This blessing will be on your life. But then he said to me, and only you and I will ever know if you're really doing what I've asked you to do. So Daniel, chapter 1, if you have your Bibles... Apparently, many of you do. Bibles, iPads, iPhones. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of his articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought articles into the treasure of the house of God. Then the king instructed Aphina, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel, some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles. Uh, I want you to note, well, we'll touch on that in a minute. Let's read verse 4. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Then the king appointed them for daily... Uh, provision of the king's delicacies of the wine which he drank three years of training for them so that at the at the end of each time they might serve before the king now from among those of the sons of judah were daniel hannah mishal ezra to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names he he gave uh daniel the name balchazar to hannah shadrach to mishal meshach and ezra abednego uh man these verses are so full but the first thing you'll see here is that God's enemies have taken possession of them, and now they are in captivity. And I just want to say this to you. This goes along with maybe the first point that I didn't realize I was going to make, and it's this. That when the enemy takes possession, or when, the, when you have any area in your life, in your mindset, that is in agreement with the enemy, he's not just looking for that area of your life. He's looking for complete dominance and control. That's why when Jesus, he established this principle in, in, in the world. This is, a, this is a, a biblical principle that applies to every person in this room and everyone outside this room. He said, no one, no one, no one can serve two masters. No one. So what does he tell us? There is no demilitarization in your mindset and in your behavior. You are either in with God or you are walking with the devil. And you can have Shechem Ohaya, you can know some scripture, but you can still be walking with the devil. Wow. You'll notice here, he does not come for part. He is taken captive, and now what he's trying to do? He is going to try and educate the young men. These men are probably no more than 12 or 13 years old. Some think 10 or 11. Daniel is one of the few books, and it's not meant to be a chronology of his life, but it's, you, you can see from one end of his life to another. But you'll see he comes to 
educate them. He wants to re-educate them. He renames them. He wants to give them an education, and he wants to give them food. He's, he's, he's after complete indoctrination, and he also wants to be after being their complete source of all things. The enemy does not come for one part of you. He comes for complete control, complete dominance, and complete education. On Father's Day of 2020, <clears throat> the Lord spoke to me and he said, he gave me six keys that have to define the body of Christ for the next, uh, I think, 10 to 12 years. And one of the first things he said to me, and he brought me to Daniel chapter 1, he said, discipleship must begin in the home and must be transferred generationally from one generation to another or else the body of Christ will miss the season that it's in. I can tell you that me standing before you today is largely not the result of even my own choices, but of the choices that my mom and my dad made, and also the choices that my grandfather made, who was a preacher. Many of the things in my mindset and much of my understanding of the world was imparted to me by the home that I grew up in. And I've asked my parents this. I said, did you know that I was going to preach to God? No, we just wanted you to be a godly person. Maybe my mom knew a little later in life. But my mom used to pray for me. She never prayed for me to have the American dream. She never prayed to, be, to, to do certain things. She would pray this. And she would name the day that my parents dedicated, to me, uh, dedicated me to, before the Lord as, a, as an infant. They would say, God, this is the day we dedicated him to you. And we give him back to you. He is yours. Do whatever you want in his life and make him miserable till he serves you with all of his heart, soul, and mind. She was Pentecostal. She didn't quite get the love thing yet. So, Sometimes I'm in a different nation and I'll be preaching the word of God and a scripture comes out of my heart that my dad taught me before school. I hadn't looked at that scripture in years, but it'll come out because he taught me the ways of God. Not only taught me, but lived that. My dad was in real estate, and he was a machinist, and he was doing real estate part-time. And uh, he went full-time in real estate, made this choice, uh, felt like God was in it. And the, the broker said to him, this is... Uh, I guess mid-80s, and he said to him, my dad said to him, I don't work on Sundays. He said, if you don't work on Sundays, you'll never make money in real estate. And he says, you don't know my God. <laughs> my dad was a bestseller, I think, at least five or six years in a row when he began to work million dollars of sales. I never saw him miss a Sunday morning service. Not only that, but because he was an elder in the church. And maybe I can count on my finger the amount of times that he uh, did an open house maybe on a Sunday afternoon, but he never 
missed the gathering of God's people on a Sunday morning. When I was a little boy, I used to love birthday parties with the cards, right? The cards, they have your number on it. I was like, ooh, I'm getting older. And I liked money. I did. I like the money gifts, and you can get whatever you want, right? Those are the best gifts, by the way. They just, you know, they don't have to pray. They don't have to be prophetic. They just pray, you know. <laughs> what do you like? Well, just give me some money, and I'll, I'll buy it. Save you the trouble, you know. So my mom would count the money after my birthday. You know, they'd have birthday parties. And they'd say something like, I don't remember, but she said, you got $25 for your birthday. Praise the Lord. She said, now 10% of that belongs to the Lord. I'm like four years old, three years old. <laughs> you laugh, but I still remember today. It's never been an issue to tithe in my life. <laughs> she was Pentecostal. I don't necessarily suggest this language, but this is how she taught me. And she said, and there are people preaching the gospel. And we get to support them. And that's your offering. Would you like to help support the gospel? And she would give it to me to put in the offering at church. I was having a discussion with a friend of mine when I was in Brazil this last time. We were talking about God's commandment to disciple nations. And one of the things that came out in this conversation, he said, he, he said we can never disciple nations if we don't have disciple believers. And so this story tells us, even though a whole nation as a whole has been given over to the enemy, now they're in captivity, now they're brought away, and they're 12, 12 and 13 years old, and we pick up the story here. Verse 8, I'm reading out a different Bible because I like how it says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice, food, or with wine, with, which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has allotted your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking gaunt in comparison to the youths who are their own age? Then you make me forfeit my head to the king. I don't have this all in my notes here. So I'm on the fly today. Verse 11, but Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the official had appointed over Daniel, Hena, Mishael, Ezra, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence in the appearance of youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to, to, to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's food's choice. So the uh, overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine which they drank and kept them, giving them vegetables. As for the four youth, I'm spitting, so I'm doing good now. 
God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom, and Daniel understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Verse 20, just for the sake of time. As for the matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, they found them ten times better than all the musicians and conjurers who were, in, who were all in his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. I, 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 w- I want to back up here for where I want to look at just a few things that are really important to the season that we're living in, and it's this. You'll notice that he said, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to educate you, and I've also changed your name. And, I, and, I, and when I read this story, I'm thinking, how come he doesn't object to the other stuff? How come he doesn't object to being educated? How come he doesn't object to his name being changed? How come he doesn't object to those different things, but he objects to the eating? And in the Eastern culture, as I understand, is this. If you sat at that table and ate it, it meant friendship with them. So he understands this. So what, let me just, a side point here is this. It is very important to understand the battles you are supposed to fight as a believer. Yeah, you, you're not going to bother me with that stuff. I know my God is bigger. You're not going to bother me with it. Now that I can't do because that is a direct violation of the word of God. Let me just say this as a side point too. There is a lot of religious language that is not God, but it, is, it masquerades itself as righteousness for the times. And it is battles that God has never called the people of God to fight in this season. You must discern the battle or the sphere of authority God has called you to fight in in this season. So, he understands. He's 12 years old. How does a 12-year-old know not to violate God's covenant? Someone has taught these boys in a contrary environment, you don't lay down. You don't compromise the word of God. And the word says he purposed in his heart. Some translations, purpose is intentional internal belief system that says I will not bow to what you are asking me to do because it is contrary to the word of God this is not a young boy who says I don't like eating spinach and I'm taking this opportunity to fight you on it this is I know who my God is because he says our God will make us 10 times better if you just give us a chance here's another thing about about the season we're living in you must have language and know how to communicate it when you are fighting against an antichrist spirit I believe he's got a prophetic person is not someone who can discern what God has said it's someone who knows what to do in the season that they are in that is a true prophetic person the ability to apply the word of the Lord in the context that you're in. The world doesn't care if you go, they don't care about that. Can you release something that is different, that is superior to the world that I'm living in? And I want to go back to this point here because I feel like the Lord would have us emphasize it this morning. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. 
Nebuchadnezzar is trying to communicate to these young men, I can be your source. And here is a young guy, a young boy, young boy. Here's a good lesson too. Faith in God has no age restriction. What's happening here? Daniel's internal reality is governing his external reality. Daniel's inward belief system is defining what is taking place in the outside world. And there's a key part of it that I have learned that is extremely, extremely important in walking with God, and it's this. Anytime I hold on to self-preservation, that is usually when I will miss the belief system that's supposed to define my world. He is saying, I will not back away from this principle, even if it costs me my life. But I believe God will make me greater. So you're, I, I'm going to make these few statements here that I, I believe the Lord wants us to hang out on it for a few moments here. Your internal reality governs your external reality. How you perceive yourself in relation, how, how you, how you per, uh, let, me, let me say it like this. How you perceive yourself and how you perceive God defines what you can receive from God. Your perception of God defines your belief system and what you can receive from him. Let's look at Genesis 3. This illustrates this point. Everybody still with me? I won't read the whole story, but I encourage you as your homework, because you're good students of the word, to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 this week. And then read it again, 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 and again. Don't ever stop reading it. You'll see a principle at work here in Genesis 3 also that's really important. It's this. God's commitment to humanity never changes. An error that we often make as believers is when we have made a mistake or when we've messed up, we try and project our own feelings of insecurity, condemnation, and shame back onto God, and we think that's what he thinks about us. Should have said amen to that. That's right. They have totally blown it. They believe the lie. Their belief defined their actions, and then their actions determined the world that they live in. So what's happening? Their internal reality is governing the world that they live in. It perverts their bodies. It perverts the world they live in. Why does it pervert the world they live in? Because they were called to steward that world. Let me say this. Back up for here for a minute. You are a powerful person. Really, really powerful. Really. See, some of you are having trouble with that because you've been educated as a victim. In America right now, we have a whole system of victimhood. You are extremely powerful in God. How much more powerful are you when you come into the kingdom of God? Think about it this way. When you were doing everything you could or, or making all the bad choices, everything, addicted, whatever it was, not loving God, and maybe you, you maybe didn't want to do maybe that, that bad of stuff, but let me just tell you. 
if, you were, if you're not in Christ, you're about one step short of mental illness. There's none good. And all the creepy clothes you had, all the addictions you had, the enemy could not stop you from getting born again. So now in Christ, how much more powerful is your ability to choose the choices of right and wrong? That's why he says death and life are in the power of your tongue. So you are a powerful person. I'm going to say that again. You are a powerful... No, it's true because... There's this thought that it's, it's sometimes really deep within people's belief system that they actually don't believe the power that they have to live the life God called them to live. And often the language of victimhood is wrapped up in statements like this. I don't know why I do that. You better figure it out because your, your belief system is the one that's making you do that. It is only you. That's why he says, guard your heart with all diligence. And so what the enemy will do is this happened, that happened, this person, this, this happened. And I'm not, I'm not saying I don't sympathize with any of that. I am just saying any situation in the world, like, you're like, I've totally messed it up. I did that financial thing again. I blew the credit card thing. I blew this thing. You know, I married the three wrong people. He goes, I'm here to help. No, no, it's really bad this time. I'm here to help. But you have to own the power of your choice and the things you've done, that's called true repentance. And then he goes, let's work on you. Don't do that same built thing, you know. There's this little lie that says, well, I've just really messed up, so I'm just like, just going to hope to get to heaven and I'll be an usher the rest of my life. Like, that's not it. That's victim thinking. Sponsored by religion that keeps people stuck in the place that they're in. And in it, and in, in deep in that, is that victim mentality. I've just messed up too long. That's based on who is the center of that? You. I think that's why sometimes throughout history, God used people who had made significant errors in their life and elevated them to a place to be a blessing to a generation. And he says, I'm trying to get you to understand it is not about what you have done. It's what I can do if you partner with me. Here's another one that gets people mad. Sometimes you just got to forgive yourself. Give yourself permission and let the blood of Jesus cause that thing to be wiped away. And if you have sincerely repented for something, the, it, it, you know, you, me, not you. Jiving along like he brings up that thing from like 12 years ago. What's he trying? It's witchcraft. And the enemy will use verses to do it. Well, you reap what you sow, you know. I've had times where I'm going to minister. And he'll bring up things like I did in high school that you should not repeat. <laughs> and I finally, one day I told me, I said, that's right, I did it. But I'm not guilty anymore. <laughs> in fact, I did it worse than you're describing it to me this time. <laughs> but I'm righteous now. And my father doesn't remember it anymore. It's, it's, not an, it's not an excuse to, you know, go do crazy things or wrong things. It's just to under, because I've seen that. That thing binds people. And it sounds spiritual. You know, like, I just can't do it. Stop that. That's not helping anyone. 
Genesis 3. Then then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called the man and he said to him, where are you? Look at this. This is God's commitment to you and I. He didn't change his commitment even though they made poor choices. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. What's happening here? His perception of himself inside of God is distorting what he can receive from God. God is looking for him and he's looking at his own inadequacies. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Notice, I believe he was used to that sound and God's keeping his commitment to him and he's going, no, I can't receive from you. I've messed up. I'm too much. I can't do it. His perception of God is distorted because he's believing a lie. Even though God is looking for him. There are people in this room, I want to proclaim to you that God is looking for you. God's looking for you. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which, you, which, which I commanded you not to eat? I also want to suggest to you that when God asks you a question, he's not looking for an answer. He's looking to find something in your belief system. What is he... God is trying to get to the source of why he doesn't think he can relate to God correctly. Then God said, woman, then the man said, the woman who you gave to me to be with me, she gave gave me from the tree I ate. There it is right there. The first place of victim thinking. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the serpent. Now, we also realize there are obviously consequences to the choices they make. But in the midst of those consequences, God never turns his back on humanity. So your perception of God defines your belief system. Your perception of God defines what you can receive from God. Your belief system which is the foundation of a life of faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why, why, I've been asking myself this question for years, like, why is it impossible to please God without faith? And the Lord gave me this illustration uh, maybe in the last year, and he said to me, he said, you remember when you finished graduate school? I said, yeah, I remember. When, when I, 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 I'm, I'm a fighting camel. I went to Campbell University. You know how God got me to North Carolina, the promised land, the first time? They offered me a partial wrestling scholarship. That's the only reason I came to North Carolina. God will use all your distorted gods to get you where he needs to go. So my parents dropped me off not too far from here in a dorm room. I remember my freshman year. And my dad looks at me and he says, I saw you, you know, they, they graciously agreed to pay the other part of my tuition. He said, I, I saw you that your degree is four years. Should you take longer than four years, you'll be paying for your tuition. <laughs> sure. My dad was my dad, not my friend. So thankfully, you know, did my four years and God honored me, 
got good grades. And so at graduation, I was going to graduate school a few weeks later, felt like that was the will of God. And my parents said, congratulations, graduation day. We're very proud of you. Your mom and I would like to pay for your graduate school. He said, remember that moment? I said, yeah, I remember. He said, I had already made provision for you. You could have told him, no, I'll just work three jobs and do it. He goes, that's why faith pleases me. Because I've already made provision for my people. But they want to do it their own way. And so it breaks my heart that they want to trust other things to make their own way. So this is no small thing. Your belief system defines your behavior. Your current, your current behavior defines your future on the earth. So think about the, the backstory here. The backstory is we're in the greatest time to be alive. You're in a defining moment. But if you don't get on the, if you don't position yourself correctly and allow God on a continual basis to allow your belief systems to come under the microscope of the Holy Spirit, you could miss a turn in the purposes of God. And we have the statement, you know, if you believe, everything's possible. But if you're not believing, not everything's possible. Your current belief system defines your future on the earth. Now think about this here. This is no small matter. John the Baptist, we know, is the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, some people think he's the last of the old, and there's some disagree. I, I don't know. I don't really have a position so much on it, but I do know this. John did no miracles. So the strength and the power of his preaching and teaching rested upon the prophetic word that he gave. And what was the prophetic word he gave? Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching out of the wilderness and saying, repent, repent. What is repentance? Change your thinking, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of it by the prophet Isaiah. Now catch this. The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way for the greatest outpouring. Prepare the way of the Lord. But if you don't repent, those doors and those ways won't fully open because the door to preparing the way of the Lord is the word of the Lord, agreement with the word of the Lord, and a changed mindset. Then what did Jesus say? He, this was no small thing. Jesus comes into alignment with him. From that time, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This, this just, again, was not a small thing in his teaching and his ministry. He would go on and on to talk about this. And he, he, he was constantly trying to get them, his disciples, to see reality from his perspective. If you see Jesus, his life was completely governed by revelation knowledge. No small point either. 
everything you see in the life that Jesus modeled here on the earth. He's fully God, fully man. He chooses to live as the Son of Man, and he comes as the second Adam. Notice, too, how powerful uh, the, the commitment of God to his word. He cannot come as God because he has given the earth to the sons of man. So he's got to come as the perfect seed. And you'll notice that when he dies and resurrects and then appears, by the way, for about six weeks, and he teaches concerning the kingdom, he never does a miracle because now he's operating as a son of God in the earth. He will not violate his own word to even do whatever he wants. Never does a miracle when he resurrects. But Jesus Christ is the first man since Adam to express God's original intent on the earth. What did Jesus say? Without you, I can do nothing. He wanted Adam to be completely dependent upon God for all things. I mean, if Jesus was an American preacher, I'm convinced that some churches would have voted him out. Your mother and your brothers are here. These are my mothers and brothers, those who hear my word and do it. No, come on and get them in the green room. It was like, these who do my will. Lazarus, your friend, is dead. Catch this here. Because some of you are under the pressure of things God never intended you to be under the pressure of. Lazarus, your friend, is dead. So let me stay at the seminar and teach a few more days. Why? The father didn't release him. The perfect son of man says in John the 8th chapter, I'm learning things from my father. Yet we have people because they think they've been around the things of God for 20 Oh, we understand this. And I've actually heard Abner teach this before. why he warns us. He said, unless you are converted like a child, you can't receive the kingdom of God. What's a child? A child who's not been abused or or taken advantage of or anything, that child will naturally believe the things that you tell him because he's been taught to trust. He's been taught to, when I was a kid, again, I have a, I'm really thankful for the upgrading. I remember as a little kid riding bikes in the neighborhood when you could still do that. And I had a kid in my uh, neighborhood, he had something wrong with his bike, and I said to him, I still remember, I said, come to my, my house, my father will fix whatever's wrong with that bike. I believed as a kid my father could fix anything. Unless you're converted like a child, you cannot inherit, the, the, you cannot receive the kingdom of God. He actually says it's a conversion process. Have you realized that there are no adults in the kingdom of God? But he was modeling this life that he called a slip. The difference between Adam and Jesus was that for the first time, Jesus, a God now lived in a man. He dwelt among us and set up his tabernacle among us. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ right now? Christ in you, the hope of glory. When they said, when will the signs of the kingdom be? He goes, don't look here, don't look there. 
the kingdom of God is within you. So what happens? What happens when you come into the kingdom of God? You, you get the privilege of being seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for you. And the Father had all these thoughts, toward, like lots of thoughts towards you, that even when you're here on the earth, you have access to mysteries and wisdom that will cause the world to take notice of who God is. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he is one spirit with him. So though you walk on the earth, you walk as one living from heaven toward earth, so not that you deny the problems of the earth, not that you deny the mountain, but you have the privilege of seeing the lens of reality from God's perspective. But it begins with your internal belief system actually believing that and defining your world, not, that's why the Apostle Paul would later put languages. We walk by faith and not by sight. What's he actually saying? I walk by my belief system because I believe my belief system will cause my external world to become what I believe it to be. That's what the faith of God does. God's faith calls things be not as though they are. And then he says, you can have that kind of faith because I put you into that place. You're not God, but you're putting your complete trust in God. And because that trust is in God, your belief system is defining the world that you live in. Matthew, Matthew uh, 9, right? The woman with the issue. Of, well, we love that. It was Pentecostals. But I love what the King James said. For she's, do you know you have a relationship with yourself? And your soul will only do what it's been trained to do. Some people think it's their flesh. No, it's the belief that you have about your flesh. It's my, no, no, it's not your flesh. Your flesh will only do what it believes it can do. He went on and on. Did I not say to you, if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I am doing, greater works we do. He constantly went back to people's belief system. I remember, uh, been nine years ago, I, was, I always remember, I was getting ready to minister in Alabama. And um, I was in the, getting ready for the service that night. And this is just kind of how it works with me. God just said to me out of nowhere, he said, I cannot violate the perverted thought processes of man to fulfill my will for their life. Wow. What did you just say? I cannot violate the perverted thought processes of man to fulfill my will for their life. What did you just say? That's why a moment ago, I emphasize the concept that you are a powerful person in God. You're so powerful that God cannot override your own free will to agree with him. If God could do it or God wanted to do it, he could just make everyone believe in him, trust in him, live, live the abundant life that he's called. He, he just can't do it because he didn't want a robot in you. Though you're powerful, you're made to be completely dependent upon God for all things. That's why your life will always be frustrated if God is not the center of it. 
You cannot be a God unto yourself. And I don't know if you've noticed, there's nothing in this world that satisfies. Like nothing. At, like nothing. I've never watched a movie and go, oh, my life has changed forever. This is just like the greatest movie ever. I like pro wrestling. I've never watched a show and go, oh, this is eternal. I'm going to bear fruit from this one. Because nothing touches it. I want to say this to you too. You will never regret being all in for God. I'm getting a little older, but I still look young. It's my confession. And I can call things be not as though they are, because they will be. <laughs> but I've never, I've never talked to anyone now, years, talking to people who, who know they're about to transition. I've never heard them say, I wish I had another day on the boat. Now, unsaved people might, but I've never heard a believer say that. I wish I would have prayed more. I wish I would have done that thing that I know that I know that God told me to do nine years ago. I wish I would have done this. Because those are the things that you get to take with you when you stand before Jesus. I'm sort of about to land the plane here. How does your mind, your beliefs, get formed? First one I'll tell you is this, Matthew 22, 36 through 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. No one can have a relationship with God for you. And I don't mean this to be offensive. God doesn't want to just chat with you when you pray over your breakfast in the morning. Intentional fellowship with God. And then, only then, can you love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps you've been a believer for many years and never actually have done that. I think that's true, not prophetically, just but by the data because of the people who show up in prayer meetings. And the only thing I can conclude is this. They've never discovered the joy of knowing you. And they don't really believe that God hears them when they speak. It's the most beautiful thing. Got up this morning. He got me up earlier, earlier, <laughs> but I know it's the Lord, because I haven't slept a lot, and I'm up, and it's like he's got things to say, if you fellowship with him, 
you'll know his voice. Telling a lot of dad stories today. I was at the state championship my senior year, Atlantic City Convention Center. I think second round, thousands of people there. I could hear my father cheering me on. I know my dad's voice because I walk with him. And then another, if you don't hear anything else, know this. If you build your life on fellowship with, with God and loving other people, your life will go well. It's like, what's the master key to life? Knowing him. Your life will go very well. It, sometimes, we have a school of ministry. Can you come and teach on hearing the voice of God and how to preach? I said, yes, it won't be very long. Have a fellowship with God and become an original. Pass the offering. <laughs> Course is done. Or you can just put a CD on and you can listen to him. He'll talk. You'll have something to say. You'll hear his voice, but second decision is have a, have, the, have a high honor for the word of God. And I've noticed I have to make the decision every day. Lord, your word is first place in my life. Whatever you want is what I want. Your word is the highest standard. Your word defines every area of my life. So, and then this, go, I've learned to go a, depth, a, a step deeper. Any area of wrong thinking, show me. Any place that even I'm operating correctly, but it's got a little, little sand from the world system in there, expose it. You know, working hard is important. I hope you have a job, or I hope... If you don't have a job, you're believing God for a job. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a really tragedy in society when people stay home because the government sends them a check. That is not godly. That's a tragedy. But even in, I, I, it's another value I learned as a child growing up, hard work. My dad told me, you don't have to be the best, but you must do your best. He said, I don't care if you're cleaning the toilet. You will do your best. But even sometimes that can be distorted because you begin to see yourself as your own source. Well, I'll just work harder. And do it. God will help you with those things reason I bring that up is because I believe that we're in a season, even if you've walked for many years and pursued these things, God is exposing the little things in our belief system that are just a little off kilter to align it with the word of God as never before. And then as you hear, 
And as you practice, you grow in belief and behavior. And then you develop these wonderful things called habits. Just like you develop a drug habit, you can develop godly habits. This is it's a whole lot better, that one. You know, what is a habit? A habit is something that you have the choice to do, but after a while, you don't consciously know that you're choosing that reality anymore because you've done it so much. Go back to when I was a kid, four years old. Mom teaches me the principle of the tithe. Now when I tithe, I don't think that I'm tithing. I just think this is, what I'm, this is part of walking with God. I don't think, oh, I'm going to you know, pay my tithe now. This pay my tithe. It's because I don't consciously think about it, even though I'm doing it. And when you get to the place where you are consistently practicing godly, biblical things, you will get to the place where that is the first reaction that you commit to when something contrary comes to it. Yeah, you can clap for that. You can clap for that. It's okay. Got the Baptist clap. Some people like, when's he finishing? I'm hungry. The other people, this is really good. It's, just, it's all really nice happening in this room right now. I'm sort of almost done. But habits are really important that you develop. And anytime you miss a place, real simple. Lord, forgive me. And then if you have godly friends, you bring them in on your process. Hey, I want you to hold me accountable because I missed a turn here. And I want you to hold me to a higher standard so I keep going forward in the things of God. About 10 years ago, I was at a, a, a friend's wedding. And um, I had to leave early in the morning, so I'm flying from JFK. And I'm at the uh, ticket counter at like 4 a.m. on like two hours of sleep. <laughs> you got to tell it like that part of the story to make yourself look a little better. <laughs> and the lady was very rude to me at the ticket counter, so she immediately reaped what she sowed of the things that I said out of my mouth. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I'm going to preach the gospel. <laughs> We're laughing, but I've come to know that God is incredibly practical. So you might leave a meeting like this today, and it's going to get a little better here in a minute, but you might leave here in a day. You're like, Lord, I'm all in on you. I love you, Jesus. Everything is yours. I want to think like you. And then your three-year-old starts acting possibly like the devil. And you suddenly start having words that you didn't know were there for many years. <laughs> it's actually a beautiful thing, though, because God's going, I'm exposing. See, that didn't come from anywhere. It came from somewhere here. So, Lord, what is the root system of that belief that caused me to react like that? So I, I, I repented. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go preach the gospel. God bless you. The lady just looked at me. You do what you got to do. Yes, whatever. I won't ever see her again, hopefully. <laughs> but I called my friend on the way home because I was in a closed country. So I called him. I said, hey, this is what happened. And I don't ever want to do that again. 
And I've been tempted a few times, but I've done really good with the ticket counter lately. But that's just one area. Confess your faults to another that you may be healed. And what happens is that as you practice godly things, you will grow in that truth and God will give you greater understanding of the truth that you're practicing. There is no discipleship without the practice of truth. You can, you, especially in this season, you cannot be satisfied with knowing concepts. What is the fruit of the concepts that you know? What is the fruit of the teaching? And this is a good place where you're hearing teaching week after week after week. What is the fruit of what you're producing by the word that you're hearing? I'll land the plane here. I always like to look for goals. What is the goal of God in a renewed mind? If you look at Genesis 2, it's really interesting. God brings the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. And you'll notice that God looks at Adam and and he says, and and the, the scripture says, he looked to Adam to see what he would name those animals. And he Adam does not stop and pray and ask God what to name those animals in that moment. But we do know, we read it earlier, Genesis 3, verse 8, that he was fellowshipping with God. And I can, only, I can only come to this conclusion. It doesn't mean that fellowship with God was not important, but when you know someone, you can speak for someone. So what's the New Testament equivalence found in Matthew, the 8th chapter? Let's look at that. When Jesus came down, this is verse 1, uh, New American uh, Standard. When Jesus came down from the mountain, a large crowd followed him, and a leopard came to him and bowed down before him. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Catch this. This is, I believe, the New Testament equivalent here. Verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Notice he didn't say God is willing. He says, I am willing. Was the power in the Father most definitely. But Jesus knew the will of his Father to such an extent. He didn't stop in that moment and prayed. He goes, this is the will of God to set this man free. When you know someone, you can speak for someone. So what's, what, what happened in those scenarios? They were, their mindset... In that area, at least that area, we know Jesus was perfect, in that area of their life had so aligned with the word of God, their first reaction to that circumstances was, this is the will of God. So you have to ask yourself often, what, what, what was my first reaction to this? What was my first reaction to this? What was my first reaction to this? Because what comes up and one of the signs of maturity is what you want to come up immediately is the word of God. Your kids are practicing their testimony. What comes up? Something goes way different financially than you'd ever experience in your life. What comes up? 
someone mistreats you, speaks evil of you, what comes up? Because God is working on something with his people in this season. And we have to be aware of these things that the Lord is bringing us to the forefront. And if you have trauma, if you have pain that is unresolved in this season, it could keep you back from fully experiencing the purposes of God. That's my sort of final admonition today. Deal with the traumas in your heart. Deal with the unresolved things in your heart. Not in I'm going to handle it type of way, but Lord, I present this before you. Lord, I have this pain. Lord, I still have this unforgiveness. Lord, I still am troubled by this. I don't know why, God, but that happened 12 years ago, and it's still, it just still seems to rattle my mind. So, Lord, I present this before you, and show me any area in my belief system. Show me any area of healing that you'd like to bring, because I want everything now full throttle before you. And often, I don't know why it exists among the people of God like this, probably because of shame and guilt, same thing in the garden. Many people have an inability to identify the pain in their life because to actually deal with it would be more painful than actually, to actually deal, they'd ra- let me just say it this way, they would le- rather live in the fantasy of unresolved pain than to actually admit that there is pain in their heart. doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. just means you're a work in progress like everyone else. And the lie is this, that if you're fruitful or successful or the boss in a marketplace, that every area of your life must be going really well. I work with leaders every week. And I can tell you some of the most hurting people are leaders sometimes. And the lie is, because I'm a prophet, or I have this miracle, or I have this big ministry, that it's all okay. And we can feed ourselves even with ministry things, but never deal with the deep issues of our heart. Shotonomoyo toroboyo. Sendere Yara moho shoto, yara boho shoto no moyo. Yana moho shoto bo. That keyboard player, if he wants to come up, that'd be awesome. Kene moho shoto no moyo. Yendere boho shoko boyo toro boyo toro boyo. Mana mahashika boho shoto no boyo tono moyo. Shendere boho shoto romoyo tono moyo toro boyo. Yara moho shoto yara boho shoto boyo. 
Shendere boho shotorobo Sharamoho shoyaraboho shonomoho shokoboyo toroboyo Yeremehe shikaraboho Sheremehe tereboho romoho shokoboyo Yaramoho shokoboyo tonomoyo roboho shokoboyo Shereme yendere boho shokomoyo Sherebe yetira mayatara boho shokomoyo toroboyo Yandara boho shokomoyo toromoyo roboho shokomoyo tonamahaya kaya Iki kaboho shokomoho shokoyo Rebo kotoromoyo otanamahaya atina mahasikabaya atanamahaya Yende ikandaba kayati namayati ka atonomo koyo. Mere kiraraboho shotonomo robo otayaraboho. Yendere boko otanamayatanamo otarabayaraboko Reba boboho shokom aramoho shoko ayaramoho shorobokoyo. Yende i araboho shoko ayarabohoyo. For my eyes have been turned to this place and know that you are on my path in the purposes of God. My eyes have been turned to this place even since the inception of when I even put you on this land. The Lord says you are on holy land. This land has been set aside for the purposes of God. And oh, have I have waited. Heaven has waited. And there has been birthing prayers even 30 years ago and 35 years ago from what about to release. For the Lord says, what you have seen over the last year since the inception of covenant love will not compare to the door of glory that I'm opening. I am opening a door, a door, a door into the things of God as never before. And oh, as that door of glory opens, they're going to come in the thousands, in the thousands, and then in the hundreds of thousands, they're going to come to see what I'm doing on this land. But the Lord says, you must not miss the moment when I begin to pour out my spirit as never before. For what you're experiencing, even over the last three months, says the Lord, is yet but a trickle of what I will do. There is a door, there is a door that I've opened. Oh, it's a huge door. It is just a trickle. It is just a down payment. It is just a seed of things to come. There is a glory that will mark your public gatherings as never before. For truly, this house will be a covenant of love. They'll come, says the Lord, from the nations of the earth to gather as one tribe and one tongue and be a physical and prophetic sign to this world that truly there is a representation of my people in the earth for such a time as this. For there has been a deep groaning there has been a deep groaning, a deep groaning from my people across this nation. There has been a deep cry for a healing of the land. 
And I've even connected the intercessors from across the globe. I've connected them for such a time as this. And the Lord says, make no mistake about it. I, Jesus, the righteous judge, the righteous judge, the righteous judge will answer my people speedily in this season. I'm going to release righteousness across the land, says the Lord. I'm going to release righteousness across the land, says the Lord. I'm going to release righteousness across the land. For know this, what you've seen with your own eyes, even in the last two years in this nation, I will turn it for certain good. I will turn it for certain good because I am hearing and I will answer the prayers of my people. There is untold beauty available for my people. There are untold riches available for my people. So step forward and taste and see that the Lord is good as never before. And even, says the Lord, what you sung today must become a reality. I desire to establish a habitation on this land through 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week worship and prayer to me. It must come, and it must be so. For from that place will the word of the Lord come. From that place will apostolic prayers be prayed. From that place will the nations of the earth be touched. Though I have set you in this city, and I set you to be a delight in this city, I want to open a womb of this division and the purpose of this house to be an international house that touches nations, reproducing, sending teams to the nations of the earth. For there has been a coming together of the nations here in previous seasons, but the Lord says, now there will come a sending and a releasing of people to the nations of the earth as never before. It must happen and it must be so in this season. Lord you receive this word I just want you to stand and just be really careful too about the moving around I know sometimes things happen but I want you to just look this way when we were worshiping this morning I saw like a cloud of God's presence in this room here and I believe it was like over this auditorium and the picture that I saw was people being launched through the glory of God and into the purposes of God as never before. 
And I said, Lord, what does that mean? I believe that the Lord has instructed me, and I'm going to have Pastor Al and Pastor Cameron come, and anyone else, Pastor Al, you'd like to come. But there's an impartation today for the purposes of God. The laying on of hands is not a... Uh, well, hold on a second. If you're here today, you need to make a fresh commitment to putting God first place in your life. No shame, no blame, but you realize, I, I need to align some things in my life. There's some things in my life that are out of alignment. Or maybe you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life. Does that mean the Son of God died to redeem the sons of man. He lived on this earth. He modeled the life that God wanted us all to live. He lived, died, and resurrected. And only in him do you receive the life that God intended you to live. So if you've never done that, but you, if you've never made that commitment or you want to make a recommitment to putting God first place in your life all across this room with every eye open, it's okay. It's no big deal. No shame, no blame. Just lift your hand if you want to do that this morning all across the room. Yeah, just lift them up high. There's no shame. There's no blame. If you've lift your hand, I want you to come forward here quickly. Just come. Thank you. Why don't you, those of you still just standing out there, why don't you give these guys a round of applause. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Keep coming, we'll wait for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's still a few more people that need to come. Please come. Don't resist God in this moment. Most of us in this room, we made this decision one day in our life. Thank you, Lord. If you've come, I just want you to lift your hands. It's not a religious thing. It's just a surrender thing. It's a physical act. You're saying, I'm surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want you to repeat this prayer. Say, dear Jesus, I need you. And today, I surrender all. With your help, God, I want to put you first place in my life. Forgive me, Father. In any area of my life, that I have wrong thinking or offended you or offended others. Forgive me, Lord. I thank you, Lord, today that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. I thank you and I receive the righteousness that only you can give me. Teach me your ways. Let your word be first place in my life. 
I want to know you, God. Amen. Why don't you look this way? Just when I was praying, I sensed some of you, there's some relational things. It's not just asking God to forgive you. Some of you need to ask family members to forgive you. That's part of the process. So I encourage you to do that. Is there a place you take them or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What is your name, sir? Chris. Okay. Chris. Chris is right here in the middle. And Chris is going to bring you somewhere to, they're going to help you more. <laughs> so follow, yeah, follow, just follow Chris if you respond this well. Why don't you give these guys a round of applause? Thank you, guys. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Hey, I know you with the white, the, the white shoes there. I know you. Bless you. Good to see you. So this is what I believe the instruction of the Lord is. I felt like the Lord said we're supposed to lay hands on everyone here today. And I was saying a moment ago, this is not just a religious act or just somebody putting their hand on you. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. When Moses laid hands upon Joshua, the spirit of wisdom came on him from that day forward. What was on Moses that was of God, but it was on the life of Moses, it was transferred to Joshua because there was a moment, in that moment, there was a transfer of anointing. It's one of the six elementary teachings of, of Christianity we found in the book of Hebrews. Baptisms and laying on of hands. So I say that to you, to put your faith in a God who wants to mark you for eternity today. I don't say that lightly. There is a supernatural transfer that's going to happen in this room today. It is not going to be through Abner or Pastor Al. It's going to be through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the greatest apostle, greatest pastor, greatest teacher, but we are his servants, and this is a God moment of what God wants to do in your life. In 2005, I was in uh, Mexico City, probably up until that time, the most powerful service I'd ever been in. It went like nine hours, so we're still in good time right now. But I don't even remember it being about an hour because there was such a glory. We laid hands on people for three and a half hours that day. And when it finished, the word of the Lord came through the pastor and he said, you'll go around the world. And you'll lay hands upon people. You'll release the glory of God. There's an anointing on your life for impartation, revival, and reformation. And God has been faithful to that word around the world. So I'm not confident in my own abilities, but I am confident in the God who has sent me here today. I'm a sent one here. So as you come, if you would like to receive prayer today, we're going to lay hands on everything that moves in this room today. If you need healing in your body, believe God that his hands laid upon you, you'll receive that. If you need addiction, things broken, heartache broken, come. God knows what you have need of. But don't try and tell God how it's going to look. Some people there's a big physical manifestation, some people there's not.
What really matters is if you just simply receive by faith what God has for you. So if you'd like to come and receive prayer, receive what God is doing here, one, two, three, just kneel down your feet and just come as forward as you need to.